listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me, as always, is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jeff. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think when we have podcasts, it's maybe when I'm at my most hydrated. <laughs> like we're we kind of make the uh make it a point to make sure we have like water sitting beside the mic and mm-hmm. things of that nature and generally i just like drink espresso all day and and yeah. uh which goes in the opposite direction of that so uh, like so yeah i'm feeling good not that you know i, I don't know that our listeners needed a insight into my personal health and well-being but um, <laughs> i'm glad to hear you're healthy well you know you have know? it you know yeah yeah, well, with the life insurance policy, we have to carry on each other. Well, it's we good should. that you stay, stay, stay healthy. Well, at least listeners should expect that I may likely make it through this episode. <laughs> yes. If the next half hour is any indication, the rest of your life will go swimmingly. So uh, I'm excited for our guest today. Should be uh, should be an interesting conversation. Yeah, I, I, I think um, one of the things that I, I find um, as we've been kind of having a, a number of marketers on the show kind of telling uh, the story about their role and um, and 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 various you know, digital transformation and all its various kind of aspects. Um, I don't know that uh, we've had anyone that really could look at it in a bit of a rear view mirror as a kind of... Kind yeah, of, I did that and it yeah. worked. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, people are, are kind of usually just kind of in the middle of it or what have you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited for today's guest because um, while he's uh, starting a significant new challenge, um, he just came out of a really interesting gig uh, that drove a lot of change. So yeah. let's. Uh, why don't we introduce him so we don't have to like keep him behind the Talk curtain? Talk about him with the third person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so joining us today on the Cooler Ring is Brian Richards. Brian is the digital marketing supervisor at Gardner Denver. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Brian. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Look, it, uh, it's great to have you on the show, Brian. I, um, I, I wonder if we may just get uh, underway with a bit of an introduction to you and your role at Gardner. So can you tell our listeners a bit about you and, um, and what you're doing at Gardner Denver? Absolutely. So uh, I, I started my role, new role about two months ago. So um, typically, uh, the digital marketing supervisor at Gardner Denver is responsible for uh, demand generation efforts. So that's everything from you know your marketing automation platform to, to web, uh, paid digital uh, media, uh, trade shows as well. Um, that's lumped into demand generation here at Gardner Denver. So really a, a well-rounded um, efforts behind demand generation and, and just leading that team um, within the business unit here um, uh, on our demand generation efforts uh, across Americas. And give us a texture, how big a team? Uh, currently, we have uh, four within the United States. We also have um, team members down in uh, South America as well. Um, oh, nice. So, cool. so yeah. So both both continents uh, span both North and South America. Um, Gardner Denver has a global business unit, so um, you know there's there's business units in Europe and and APAC as well. So. I, I do think it's interesting that uh, as a digital marketing supervisor, that you're including trade shows in mm. that in that capacity. Yeah, so I, I report out to a larger demand generation team at the corporate level. So um, everything we do, really all the initiatives that we do um, is focused around demand generation. And really trade shows has kind of been um, lumped into that demand generation effort. Um, the trade shows that we participate in are end customer trade shows. So uh, they're typically not your uh, industry or, or uh, distribution type trade shows. They're end customer trade shows, and we're trying to pull those customers through into our into our demand generation efforts and initiatives. Cool. 
Let's um, uh, thank you for that uh, for that introduction. And just as much as we've uh, as quickly as we got onto the subject of Gardner Denver, we're going to completely leave it um, <laughs> and kind of look in the rearview mirror a bit because you've just kind of uh, exited a, an approximate nine ten year uh, stint with uh, Naphide Manufacturing, and the last five years with them. Uh, you were their manager of interactive marketing and communications, leading a significant uh, digital transformation. Um, so um, what I'd like to do is talk through that transformation a bit and maybe um, uh, some of the highlights and lowlights of it, uh, lessons learned along the way, etc. cetera. Um, I wonder... What, uh, where might we begin with that? Um, I guess as you started that, uh, that role, what was, you know, kind of, how did you look at the challenge ahead around that transformation effort that you were leading? And what were some of those formative kind of planning uh, mechanisms and strategic approaches that you kind of laid early on that you feel helped with the success? Absolutely. So, the, the biggest challenge when we started that that kind of digital transformation about five years ago, and really the real reason behind why we did it, um, is because traditionally as, as a B2B manufacturing company, a lot of our marketing efforts were spent on kind of the, the push marketing tactics down to our distribution network, our dealer network. We started to recognize the importance of um, speaking to the end customer, the end user. Um, and participating in a lot of pull type marketing tactics and, and pulling those customers through um, into our distribution network. So um, the biggest challenge, honestly, was was the fact that we didn't have the technology to do it when we started. Uh, we really didn't have the talent. Uh, we didn't have a fully staffed team. Uh, we didn't have the processes. And and quite honestly, you know, we we had spent the majority of the you know 170 years in business really working the relationship side with our distribution network and, and letting them market to the end customer. So we came in with, with a mountain to climb, sort of say, right? Um, you know, we didn't, like I said, we didn't have the technology, the people, the processes, and, and we weren't really used to marketing to that customer segment directly. Um, so those were really the big obstacles when we started. And really what we did is we took kind of a systematic approach and took a step back and, and determine what we would need in order to kind of take baby steps forward um, to get the foundation laid, to get, you know, the, the, the foundation laid and the, and the plumbing and the elect electricity in and, and all the components you need kind of before you move into the house. Right. So um, that was that was not a, a short endeavor. It, it took us, uh, you know, a good year to really understand um, what we needed to do on the tech side. What do we need to do on the talent side? Um, and then also, you know, how, how do we approach our customers, the end customers, um, what channels we wanted to go through, what, what mediums we wanted to utilize. Um, so th we, we really spent the first year laying the foundation, sort of say, for our efforts on, on the poll type uh, marketing initiatives and, and really focus on that digital side. I have to ask, I mean, Choosing to leapfrog the distribution network must have been a bit of a surprise to them. How have they taken that? And has it actually been uh, incre increased the fruitfulness of that relationship? Or have you ended up changing the way that you do distribute the products or the way you did distribute the products when you were there? You know, it's it's always interesting. Um, 
anytime you tell your distribution network or show your distribution network that you're going to start directly marketing to to their customers. Um, obviously, there's some challenges behind that. Obviously, there's you know some perception challenges behind that. I think the biggest thing with us is um, you know if if you if you look as a B2B manufacturer, if you look um, at any other industry, um, say automobiles, for example. Um, does Ford Motor Company uh, directly market to to end customers, even though that they have dealers in their own? Absolutely, they do. Right? You see TV commercials, you see radio ads. You know, you you see a whole lot of things, emails. You see a whole lot of things going. But kind of at the end of you know the majority of of kind of that manufacturer's direct advertisement, they typically push them to the local nearest dealer. Right. And so that was our approach. Everything that we wanted to do direct to end customers, the end goal was really to cultivate leads um, for our distribution network and then park those leads uh, on the doorstep of the distributors to close. So I think you really have to sell the value from a national perspective. Our distributors, some were you know very large, some were very small. And I think you find that in a lot of distribution or dealer networks. You have to preach the value of, of you doing it on a national scale or global scale and, and the efficiencies that you, you can gain and, and also the resources. I mean, a lot of a lot of times distribution um, networks and dealer net, networks just don't have the resources um, that it takes to do a lot of the things, um, especially on the digital side um, that you would like to, you know, within their market. So that's when you kind of centralize a lot of those efforts. And you've got to make sure that you preach and you practice at the end of the day, everything we're doing is to benefit you because if they win in their market, you know, you win as a manufacturer. Yeah. I think it certainly helps that you weren't trying to do that to leapfrog them completely and get them out of the process. Uh, um, uh, that, that would be a, a key piece here to uh, maintaining harmony. Uh, you know, they, they, it clearly they didn't perceive it as a, as a first step to you trying to have a direct relationship uh, fully with the customer and cutting them out. Yeah. And, and I will note, you know, distributors and dealers are, are naturally protective of their customer base. It's, you know, especially when you've got, you know, 170 year old company, you know, like we were at Napide coming in and saying, Hey, you know, we're going to start talking directly to your customer. So yes, there was absolutely some challenges there. Um, and I, I think, you know, over time as, um, you know, the, the, the age of the average uh, employee at distribution and dealer networks starts to get more uh, adoptive of digital technologies. There may be a shift back to some of those functions at the local level or a supplemental type efforts at the local level. But the problem we face is, is, is a lot of our distribution network, they, they, they relied on the relationship building type customer, right? So, they weren't going to go out of their way to participate in a lot of the, the digital platforms and technologies and initiatives that we wanted to do. At the same time, we understood there was there was massive efficiencies, you know, talking to millions of customers and utilizing those digital platforms to do so uh, versus relying solely on, on the handshake model. Um, so, you know, like I said, there could be a transition back um, over time to some of the local efforts, but I think most manufacturers now um, are doing a lot of direct um, to marketing initiatives. And really, you know, the majority of them at the end of the day, they're just trying to push those customers, those leads back to the distributor doorstep. So when they're ready to buy, the distributors are armed with 
uh, good quality leads to follow up on and, and grow their business. Hmm. Yeah, there's no question. It's a reasonably, uh, reasonably common model. I want to go a little further than uh, the one year of strategy and planning work that we've talked about. How did, Once we started rolling out, um, I guess, what were those early priorities and early initiatives? How did you in some way uh, uh, pace them? And then let's talk through uh, some of the lessons learned with each of them. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think even beyond the the kind of the five-year journey, the first thing we really did, one of the first things I did at NAPIDE um, was uh, launch a new website. You know, I think websites are really the foundation of any digital marketing plan. It's kind of like the the pawn on the chessboard, right? You, you kind of got to move those pieces first before you can really get moving. So the first thing we did really even before that five-year was made sure we had um, a website that was fully functional, capable, responsive, you know, mobile friendly, search friendly, all those pieces that you need in a website, uh, you know, lead generation capabilities within the website. So that was kind of the, the first move that we made, um, and, you know, to, to put that foundation in place. The next was really outbound. How do we how do we target those customers? How do we talk to those customers? What platform are we going to use? And really, we, you know, we looked marketing automation is, is obviously a, a, a massive, massive tool. And, and and many uh, B2B digital marketing uh, toolbox now, but we looked at all the marketing automation platforms and, and we really looked at some of the, the top um, enterprise level type marketing automation platforms. Um, and we decided to, to utilize um, Oracle, uh, Eloqua platform. Um, and because we understood that, you know, we would need um, pretty complex segmentation capabilities, pretty complex lead management and distribution capabilities. Um, you know, lead nurturing, um, complex dynamic content, uh, lead scoring. We would need all those those you know kind of tools in the digital marketing platform and the marketing automation platform. Um, so you know, after after consideration of, of several different vendors, we went ahead and, and actually the, the the big reason why we went was not only the capabilities, but also we had a an implementation partner agency um, that we utilized for about the first year. Um, that we were running Eloqua, and they really helped us um, lay the foundation, lay the groundwork um, within that within the the Eloqua uh, ecosystem, and and that helped us kind of hit the ground running um, on our own about like I said a year after we implemented. So that was you know the the marketing automation platform was a big one. Um, we also you know took a real hard look at the content and our content production. Uh, we were not used to producing. Um, content speaking to the end customer, so we did a lot of primary research actually with a with a with a partner agency, and understanding our our customer base and our personas, um, and that allowed us to to speak uh, more fluently to our customer base and understand their needs and challenges and how do we turn our products into solutions. How do you? Um, I, I, I'd be curious when you were working through that. Um, uh, I guess. You know, it would be the the as you're trying to change uh, your your tone and and, and really kind of um, understand how how to cultivate the messaging for that end user. Um, what were the big? Did you have any big surprises along the way there? Like in your research, were there learnings that just you didn't see coming? I think a lot of the stuff that we learned along the the personas we have. You know, we, we would speak to customers large and small. So it would be everything from the, you know, one man 
um, electrician, you know, he's a sole proprietor and, and, and it's him and a truck and his business all the way up to, you know, large customers with hundreds, even thousands of trucks. And I think the needs of those customers are, are very different. And, and while we sold and we had always sold to both those customer types and everything in between, um, we didn't know all of their challenges. We didn't know all their pain points um, and everything from how do they acquire our product to, you know, how they how they get service for our products and where do they go when, you know, when when they need help. Um, so, yeah, there was there was a massive learning curve there um, just because, like I said, we, we had a pretty extensive history of doing push marketing instead of pull marketing so that direct contact with the end customer um you know wasn't wasn't always there so um you know the needs of the customer and the the pain points you know those brought some things to our attention that you know we hadn't seen before or we hadn't heard before um the other thing too was just the overall industries that that we sold to you know we had core vocations core industries that we knew were our customers um but but our our products were uh, so diverse there, you know, we, we started to, you know, uncover uh, vocations or industries that we may have never considered before, or we may not have spent time um, developing content for, or, you know, understanding that customer base. So, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, there's a lot of discovery in that time period of the, of the primary research within customers. And I, and I think really before we could speak, um, you know, fluently to that customer base, we really needed that research period to understand better who they were, what their challenges are, and how we can position ourselves um, to make them more efficient on the job and provide solutions on the job. The Cooler Ring is proud to be a media sponsor of the 2019 Manufacturer Ed Summit Conference, which is being held September 16th to 18th in Chicago, Illinois. Carvin and I will be live on site recording interviews for future episodes of The Cooler Ring. You can save $200 now with the discount code COOLERPARTNERS200 at ManufactureEdSummit.com. That's ManufactureEdSummit.com. Before you uh, <clears throat> started down this path and started marketing directly to these customers, I'm assuming you must have provided resources to the distrib- distribution network for them to use to market your products. Uh, what, what did you think looking back on the, on the work that you had done previously, you know, given what you learned with the research? Absolutely. So we gave them resources, but they were your traditional resources, right? So, you know, we provided the, the fancy literature uh, professionally printed. Um, we provided the, you know, the sales tools to help them go out and, you know, work with customers and quote products and, um, you know, we provided the training on how to sell our products and, and what are the features uh, uh, where we fell short a lot of times is just the fact that, you know, because we, we lack that that link directly to the end customer. We knew what the features of our products were, but we didn't always know how the end customer was actually utilizing those features. Right. Or or what maybe what features they they needed to have in addition to the ones that we already offered. So. Uh, we offered, you know, traditionally we offered the the, the more uh, traditional marketing collateral, your literature, your brochures, your product training, things like that. And so when we started the digital effort, um, you know, it was kind of a new frontier for us. And 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 most of our distribution really um, they did not participate in, in the in the kind of the digital marketing initiatives. That you know, a lot of them didn't do email marketing. A lot of them, you know, didn't invest highly in their websites. So. Um, it was kind of a new realm. Um, our industry 
you know, it took a while to adopt a lot of those uh, uh, digital marketing capabilities. It was great for us because it, you know, enabled us to kind of be the early adopter in, in that niche industry and position ourselves ahead of our, our competitors um, and really give us even more bandwidth with our distributors because we were going the extra mile with some of the marketing. I really like that there's a bit of a hidden lesson in this for distributors too. And, and I'm, I don't want to underestimate the magnitude of the challenge in actually delivering on what I'm about to say. But, um, but nevertheless, I, I, I do feel like there is an opportunity for distributors to help manufacturing partners know customers better. Um, if they could just get out of their own way to do that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and not to discount their efforts at all either. I mean, you know, distribution and dealer networks make manufacturers um, successful in what they do, obviously, through the sales channel and sales network. Uh, but they're just, you know, traditionally in, in most industries, especially on the B2B manufacturing side, it can be a challenge to kind of bring them into the 21st century. There are industries that are exceptions. Mm. Um, no doubt. But, but you know, the thing about the distribution network, which um, I think is attractive, especially for uh, the digital marketing environment, is they're, they're smaller, they're more nimble typically than the manufacturing side. So for them to get set up and running um, with digital marketing isn't, you know, such a huge investment or, or uh, you know, even a time thing. It, you know, they can jump in a lot quicker. Um, make adjustments a lot quicker, but typically they're they're very apprehensive, really, to adopt some of those platforms. So that's where the manufacturers kind of have to step in and, and do some of those efforts from a centralized perspective. Yeah, it, uh, it's interesting because, of course, as they face um, you know, increasing pressure, every distributor conference will have a required talk track around uh, uh, the threat from Amazon, for instance, or what have you. And it's just like, well, yeah, and, and that, those, those threats are real. Um, I just can't help but imagine, you know, there, there's some unlocked, um, uh, un, untapped kind of uh, pieces that, that you can deliver in that relationship as a distributor, right? Um, but nevertheless, we didn't, uh, we're, we're not here we, to, we didn't hear to, we didn't come here to slam on distributors or to even try to improve distributors' business. I mean, we're just, no. gonna, we're going to completely ignore them for the rest of the <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but I thought there was a neat, hidden lesson in the middle of that. As yeah. you shifted your, um, uh, content production efforts. And I know that you also, um, as you built that team out in-house, you also uh, brought digital media uh, planning and buying, et cetera, in-house as well, is my understanding. Um, so there was certainly a time where you used outside resources to help stand this up, but then you saw fit to really consolidate things, I think almost 100% internally. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, when we, when we started really investing in, um, because traditionally, again, we, we hadn't in the past, when we started investing in, uh, you know, search and display, uh, you know, mostly across, uh, you know, the Google network, but we, you know, we also did social media stuff as well. Um, when we started investing that we, we had a partner agency, um, you know, we worked through them uh, to, to define and develop the campaigns, uh, the pay campaigns um, online. And, and so we, we did that for about a year and a half. And, you know, we saw quite a bit of success. Um, I think, you know, in our industry, it, it, like I said, it was such a niche industry. Um, and it, it, it's really hard for any agency, I think, uh, to come in and develop um, campaigns um, for manufacturing companies, especially the more niche that industry is, and be as successful as maybe they could be or, or even should be. Um, so, so, 
you know, we let them run with it for about a year and a half, had, had great success. I mean, we, you know, we, we, it was a major driver behind, um, our lead generation efforts, uh, about 30% of our, our uh, leads came from, uh, typically paid search, but we, we did have some display out there. Um, and then it just got to a point where, you know, our, our team was growing internally and I thought, man, I, I just feel like we could, you know, if we invested the time and effort, we could, we could do this better. You know, we, we know our products, we know, um, you know, the, the search environment and what customers are, are utilizing for, uh, for searching and researching our products. So, you know, we just made a decision that, um, you know, the time was right. Our team was growing and the economy was, was great at the time. And we just made the decision to take it in house and just do a trial, you know, just see how it runs. And, and if we failed massively and, and numbers drop, then, you know, we could have gone right back to the agency side, but, um, our throughput increased our, um, our lead volume increased uh, from paid about 40% over about a six month trial period. Um, so, I mean, it just, it just made sense. We, you know, it, it was our dollars that we were spending and, and, um, we were pretty critical of, of, you know, things like uh, cost per conversion, um, when it, when it was us watching over it. So yeah, it just, it just made sense at the time. I mean, it just, the time was right and the economy was right. And, and we just felt like we could, we could take it to that next level. So we did. And how big of an investment did you make on the content uh, generation side of this? How big of a team was that at the end of it? Uh, honestly, that was all internal as well. So we had a team of about three individuals that that would handle basically every every all the the digital ecosystem that you could imagine on AppIde. Um, that's everything from website. So they, those three people would be kind of multifaceted. Then they would be do, doing with content in some instances. This the Swiss, yep, yep. Swiss Army knife is really the job description that we were looking for in the in the digital side. So you know you had to wear a lot of hats, and and we did have people that you know specialize uh, more in certain items than others. Uh, but but yeah, we definitely had to take a Swiss Army knife approach um, and really hire uh, well-rounded individuals. The other challenge is we're in a very rural environment, right? Um, so you know, you, you don't have a large talent pool on the digital marketing side to choose from. So training is, is, uh, of the utmost importance. You know, you take people that have some experience, but you know, can mold and, and, you know, want to grow, um, as well with their responsibilities. So, so that's what we did, you know, and, and, and we had a lot of success doing it. Um, you know, we, obviously we had some challenges. We had some, you know, uh, some bottlenecks in certain areas. Uh, we, you know, we wish we all, always could have done more, uh, but we were also very cost efficient in, in our, in our efforts on the digital side. And so, um, it was a very conservative company and, and that's really the reason why they've lasted as long as they've had and, and they're hundred percent family owned and operated. It's really a great story there. Um, and, and so we, you know, we kind of followed that model in, on the digital marketing side as well. Very cool. Let's, um, you know, it's always nice to armchair quarterback these things in hindsight, you know, and kind of uh, try to talk to yourself, uh, uh, your former self five years uh, previous and, and, and think through the advice you might have given as you were starting that role. So what is it? What might you say to yourself five years ago? Man, I, you know, there's probably a million things out there, but I'll, I'll list a couple of my top ones. Uh, probably the, the, the biggest one is fail more. And not not fail intentionally, but take more risks. Um, you know, it, this 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 environment, the digital marketing environment. You know, th- there's 
there's a whole lot of people out there doing a whole lot of things, so many platforms and tools and, you know, the talent pool is growing and, and, you know, we, I came from a very conservative industry. So, you know, we were very conservative a lot of times with even some of the stuff that we did on the digital side, but take more risks. Um, you know, you're, you're never going to be revolutionary if, if you just kind of go by the norm and, and, and don't, don't jump every once in a while. Right. Uh, the other, the other thing, I think that there's a, just before you, you move on from that, I, I'd say you're right. And I think there's something in that digital, and that digital is more measurable. And it sometimes I think um, leads to less, fewer leaps of faith. Absolutely. Yep. You know, f- fewer big bets because, you know, man, we can, we can incrementally change this bid structure and change a word in the ad. Yeah. yeah. Well, and everything's so, you know, measurable to the point where, okay, how's it doing 30 days in? How's it doing two days in? How's it doing? Um, whereas some of the bigger bets in marketing history didn't have quite as much visibility on immediate impact, potentially. I don't know. Yeah. And it, and we try, you know, the measurement is a big piece, obviously, you know, there's, and everything you do, you know, marketing was, was typically the, the art, the feel good side. And, and there's a whole lot of science injected now in, into marketing and, and measurement and KPIs. And, and so, you know, you track everything you do and you live and die sometimes by those numbers. Um, you know, what I really tried. But is it making us more conservative? This is the question. Exactly. Yeah. So I, what, what we tried to do is I, I've always tried to look at it in, in terms of quarters. Um, like you said, nothing's going to change overnight. So give yourself some time to accrue some data before you make knee-jerk reactions and, and, and change what you're doing based on, you know, a couple weeks of, of feedback and data. Um, the, the other thing I think is important, uh, especially if, you, you know, if you're a B2B marketer in, in a very niche industry, Sometimes it can be a little bit lonely. Um, sometimes it can be tough to, to you know, look and, and, and challenge yourself, especially if, if you work for kind of the, the top dog in the industry or, or the market leader. Um, so what I always tried to do is look outside of your industry, look outside of your niche industry for ideas, connections, you know, benchmarking, comparisons. Um, you know, like I said, we were the, the market leader at NAPIDE uh, by, by far. And so... You know, you risk that complacency, right? So everything you do, oh, you know, you're, you're the top dog. Um, but you risk that, that, that kind of feeling of complacency. So we tried to look outside our industry to other industries, you know, that were maybe bigger, more advanced, um, and use that as inspiration, uh, to, to generate new ideas or, or connections or solutions too. Um, and we also tried to look at companies that spoke to the same customer base that we did, right? Maybe didn't, they're not a competitor of ours, but they were selling products to the same industry verticals. And that's that, I mean, that, that helped us tremendously in looking at things differently when we kind of got ourselves in the corner and, and weren't sure how to approach a, the solution. Can you give us an example of somebody that you really held up as a, you know, uh, someone to follow or, or at least learn from? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were quite a few, I mean, it's kind of funny in the email marketing world, you tend as an email marketer, you tend to sign up for, you know, other companies, not necessarily competitors, but uh, people in your industry vertical. So, you know, the power tool companies were big for us because they were the same cut, you know, these customer base of companies like uh, DeWalt and Milwaukee and, you know, uh, Bosch. And, um, you know, obviously we were kind of part of the automotive industry um, with the products that we made at, at NAPIDE. So, you know, you would follow the Ford and General Motors and, and Ram and, 
Um, you know, you'd follow the equipment manufacturers too. you know, the John Deere's and the Caterpillars and the Case IHs. So, you know, those those companies were obviously much larger than we were. Um, but, you know, they sold through a dealer distribution network a lot in a lot of cases. Um, you know, they had a lot of the same challenges. They spoke to a lot of the same customers that we did. So, you know, we tried to really look at what they were doing and understand, can we bring those solutions? Um, we don't need to reinvent the wheel for everything. There are others that you know face this. So how do we replicate on our scale in our industry? I think that's some fantastic advice. Uh, Brian, I thank you so much for sharing it with us today. I think this has been a just a, a, a great opportunity to, to kind of, again, look in that rearview mirror at a successful digital transformation. I mean, my goodness, over uh, $20 million in annual pipeline added uh, just on the, the B2B lead gen marketing automation apparatus alone with a nap hide. So, I mean, uh, your impact there is uh, is obvious and considerable. And I, and I thank you for uh, uh, taking the time to share it with us today. I appreciate you guys having me. It's been great. All the best. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. 